Everybody watching this online, in fact, I, I, I had someone, they, they told me about some of the places that you all are watching from, obviously, in Ohio. We would love to know where you're watching from. Could you throw it in the chat right now? If you're here local, what city? If you're around the country or the globe, we would love to know. We, we know that there are people right now watching from Michigan. We greet you even in that state up north. No, I'm just kidding. We've we got people in Florida, Kentucky, Texas, Illinois, South Carolina, New York, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Colorado, Pennsylvania, all over central Ohio. We greet you in the name of Jesus. And listen, I believe God's got a word for us today. It might look a little bit different what it feels like right now, but I'm telling you, if you will use this moment to lean in, I believe that God wants to speak to you. He wants to do something in your life. And so if I could just pray for you before we receive God's word. Father, I thank you for every single person watching right now. I pray for every person, God, that it tuned in to this broadcast because maybe they're looking for something. They're searching. They're wanting to experience you. God, I pray that right now your presence I pray, God, that right now you would meet people. Lord, I know we might be in living rooms. I know we might be in kitchens. I know we might be all over the place. But I pray, God, that your spirit is right now with every person. And so as we prepare to receive your word, God, I pray you open our hearts and our minds. Help us to focus to hear from you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Come on. Everybody said? Amen. All right, you guys can be seated. I'm saying that for the few people in the room. You might already be seated. But uh, if you're not, you can go ahead and sit down. And again, I want to just welcome everybody. I'm grateful that we can do this. I'm grateful for a band. Come on, can we give it up for our band that would drive here? We got some volunteers, servant leaders that showed up, and staff. And just so we can continue to, to share God's word with you. And, um, and so I'm excited. I'm excited to kick off this new series, uh, Stimulus. You know, right now, our new president is trying to pass a, another level of coronavirus relief for our country. Yeah, someone's excited. Right now, our president is trying to uh, pass and Congress possibly pass uh, more aid for people in our country. Now, part of this $1.9 trillion relief package that is before Congress is some individual help for families, uh, if you're within a certain tax bracket, that you would see not just the $600 per dependent that we got at the end of last year, the beginning of this year, but they want to up that an additional $1,400 to give you $2,000 per dependent in your house. It's called a stimulus. Can we praise God for a stimulus? <laughs> Can I, did I just tell you? I've, I've, got a, I've got a little bit of internal tension when it comes to the stimulus. Let, let me just tell you my, my tension. All right, maybe this isn't yours, but this is mine. My, my internal tension is this, that uh, part of me loves the idea of free money. Because that's, that's what it feels like, right? Free money. Uh, I, I believe you're not getting taxed on it. Even better, free money. Uh, I love the idea of getting something unexpected. I love the idea of an unexpected blessing of money from our government. The tension I have is inside, I wonder how in the world we're going to pay for all this. <laughs> 
I wonder how many generations are going to be paying for our stimulus right now. Now, here's the thing. I want you to understand, when the government gives you free money, the government does not tell you what to do with it. That's good. I like that. The government doesn't tell you how to spend it. The government just gives it to you and says, do with it whatever you please. And I think that's great, but can I tell you this, that your government does have a hopeful expectation of what you will do with it? L let me just say this. Um, the one thing that they don't hope you do with these checks is put it in your savings account. That's not what they want, just so you know. What, what the government is hoping that you'll do is what with it? That you'll spend it. The government hopes you'll spend it. Now, how might you spend it? You might pay for bills. That's part of it. You may pay to go on a vacation. You may buy yourself new golf clubs. You may remodel your house. Listen, can I just tell you something about your government? The government doesn't care how you spend it as long as you spend it. Why, why is that? It's because it's a stimulus. Now, here's what you need to know. Why is called a stimulus check? It's not because they hope to stimulate excitement in your heart when you receive this money from the government. It's because they want to stimulate the economy. They know in our culture that when people get money, they do what with it? They spend it. And so they're hoping that you will do something wise with it, they would say, by spending it to stimulate our economy. Now, I was thinking, I wonder how many Christ followers, I'll speak to believers first, sometimes view God like we're viewing our government right now. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying a comparison of, you know, well, there's three branches in the government and there's the three personal expressions of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, so there must be a, a connection there. It, I was thinking about it, if there was, I think that our Heavenly Father would be the president, Jesus would be the judge of the world, and the Holy Spirit would be Congress who is writing the laws of God on our hearts today. So that's the only connection that I could see really between God and our government. And I don't say that we view God like we view our government today as in terms of we distrust and all that. What I'm saying is that a lot of us are living our lives with a hopeful expectation of receiving supernatural stimulus from God. Like, I want God to bless me. I want a stimulus from heaven. Now, here's one thing that I know if you believe in God. If you believe in God, here's what I know. You hope that God will favor your life. Can I get a witness from anybody that's in this room at least? Come on, you know it's true. If you're a believer in God, you hope that God will favor your life. You hope that God will bless your life. You, you would love it if God would spotlight you in your job at work so that possibly you would get the promotion over other people. You would love it if God would highlight you to that girl that you like so much that maybe she would notice you. You would love it if God could favor your finances. You would love it. Can, can I just tell you, I would. I, I'm not ashamed to say that. Here's what I know, if that you're a follower of God, that you have something inside because we read all through the scripture of God being a father who wants to bless his children. 
And so I'm going, all right, if I'm a child of God, I'd take it. I would love, in fact, if you would love God's blessing, come on, would you just throw up your hand in the chat? Would you just put up the digital hand? Just say, that's me. If I can get God's favor and blessing in my life, I want it. Can I just tell you something? I would rather have God's favor than a favor from the government any day of the week. I want you to hear that. And I need you to understand, I believe that you can live your life in such a way that you can walk in the favor of God continually. I really do. I believe that we can live in such a way that we experience the supernatural blessing of God, and that looks different than we might think, in our lives by how we live. In fact, we see it all throughout the Bible. Let me say it this way. God's blessings are conditional. In other words, God's blessing in our life is conditional on how we choose to live. You'll see all throughout scripture, every place you see God promising his blessing, his favor, his protection, his presence. Every time that's always an if. If you will follow me, if you will honor me, if you will obey me, if you will love me, if you will serve me, I will do this. God's blessing is conditional and I believe that we can experience it. Now I wanna make sure to say this, God's grace is unconditional. There's a difference. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm not talking about God's mercy. I'm not talking about God's grace. God's grace is, is unconditional. That when we say yes to Jesus, you need to know that there's no way that you can ever work to earn your position with God. There's no way that you can ever get to a place where God will love you more if you're a better person, if you do good, if you give, if you do this. That will not work with God. God's love is unconditional. But his blessings are conditional. And when we think of blessing, I know immediately what comes to our minds, especially here in America. What we think about most when we think about blessing in America, let's be honest, we think about what? Money. I don't know what that says about our culture, but we think about money. We think, of, like, if God could favor my life, most of us would say, please favor my bank account. Please favor my job. Please favor my finances. But if I could just say this today, there are blessings far greater than money. And we, we live most of our lives thinking that's what we want. But let me just tell you, you, you lose what really matters, you'll realize that money isn't one of those things. I would rather have God's protection over my family than be blessed with more money. I would rather experience God's presence than wander through life wondering if God is there. I would rather experience God's peace than living unsettled in my life every single day. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If you do not have the peace and fulfillment of God in your life, it does not matter. And so when I talk about God's blessing, listen, I'm not just talking about money, although I believe it can include that. I'm talking about a life experiencing the blessing of God. Now, here's the thing. I do know we want this for our finances. But here's, here's what sometimes I, I know people feel is that when it comes to talking about money matters, here's what I found. A lot of people get really sensitive. In fact, there's some of you that are going, I am so glad that I'm sitting in my living room right now and not in the auditorium. But I pray that you're gonna receive what God has for you. Because I do believe that God can favor your finances. 
And I need you to understand this, that when it comes to our finances and money and possessions, it is far more of a spiritual matter than you could ever imagine. How do I know this? Because Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus was always talking about money and possessions and the things that we feel pressure about all the time. In fact, do you know this, that in the New Testament, there are 500 verses or so on prayer. There's 400 or so verses about faith. There's more than 2,000 verses that deal with money or our possessions or how we manage it. So if you're sitting there and you get really skeptical, and you're like, oh, okay, I don't want to hear any talk about money. Can I just tell you that it could be that that's a sensitive issue with you spiritually. And what you're really sensing is God wants to press in on that area. And, and, and I, do, I really believe that. And can I just tell you that, you know, like, you, you should understand something about our church, okay? We really believe that God is our provider. And we don't talk very much about finances in our church. Once or so a year, I'll do a series so that we can help get our finances in order. And I'll tell you why in a moment. But, but we, we talk about giving, just so you know, about 30 seconds every single experience. That's it. And, and we only take up an extra offering once a year at the end of the year to honor God at a time when we're giving gifts to everybody else and to really advance his, his mission. So I just want you to understand that this is, this is deeper than that. This is a spiritual matter. And what I want to do for the next several weeks is that we're going to look at what God's word says about ordering our finances in such a way so that we can experience the blessing of God. If you're someone who's saying, I, I could use some help, listen, we want to help you. Please hear me, hear me today. We want to help you get on track financially. In fact, so much as your pastor, I care about this, and that we don't just want something from you but for you. We have something I'm excited to share with you because we're not just going to have sermons, but we're going to practically, we want to jump in and help you. If you're someone who says, I need help with a budget, we're drowning in our finances, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to change our situation. Hey, we've got something that we're launching on March 1st called Financial Peace University. I don't know if you've ever heard of FPUs. I know a lot of our staff have gone through. I've been in it. Um, Financial Peace University is literally a program. Dave Ramsey, maybe you've heard of him, started this program to help people, listen, find financial peace. That's what this is about. It's not about getting rich. That's not what we're talking about. I want to get peace in my life when it comes to something that is so important to all of us, our finances. And so, listen, you can go to our events page. You can register for March 1st. Listen, I just want you to understand, you can get as much or as little out of a series like this as you want. It's up to you. If you want to lean into this, I want to say this. If you're in a place where you are, you're just tired of being stressed about money, if you're living right now under the weight of your financial situation, if you are living in such a way that you're just saying, I want things to change, can I just challenge you right now? Lean into this. I know it might be chaotic wherever you're watching this from, and you might have kids bouncing around. It might be right, you might be in the kitchen right now, and you're cooking something, but you got it on the background. Stop that. And lean in for a moment. Because you, you know what the definition of insanity is, right? Doing the same thing, but expecting a different outcome. And I have found that even as Christ followers, 
There's a lot of people that just keep doing the same thing financially, and they expect that it's just going to change one day. And you know what we're thinking? God, if you could bless me with a raise, this will help me get out of this. God, if you could bless us with more, if you could bless me with a promotion. God, you know what you really want? You want a bailout. We want a bailout. God, I want a bailout. God doesn't want to give you a bailout. What God wants to do is he wants to change your heart and he wants to give you a new mindset. So rather than a bailout today, let's look at the Bible. Is that good? Can we go get a Bible? Can you guys have a Bible with you? Come on at home, grab your Bible. Maybe you're gonna grab your paper Bible because you're watching this on your digital device. So you, you're gonna have to get out your paper Bible, that's good. I would love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 is an incredible story. It's a parable that Jesus shares. It's one of many of Jesus's parables that he talked about money. He talked about finances. And today I believe this is gonna be an incredible foundation and a start for our series on stimulus. I would like a supernatural stimulus. Okay, well then let's lean into what Jesus has to say. Luke chapter 16, I was giving you time. Just delaying, giving you time. Luke 16 verse one says this, Jesus told his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I love this. This is hilarious. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too weak. And he says, I'm too proud to beg. Man, what are you going to do? So here's what he said. Ah, I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. This is, by the way, the worst possible mindset that you could ever have. I got a friend I could, you know, go sleep at his house, right? So verse 5, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come in and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Must have been a restaurant owner. I can imagine why you would need that much. So the manager told him, take the bill quickly and change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. Well, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Let's pause right there in the story. Uh, you know, Jesus loved to speak in stories compelling stories called parables. And just so you understand, if you're new to, to church or this broadcast, a parable is not actually a real life example. It's a story, it's like a fiction story that tells a real life truth. And so here Jesus tells a story that has two main characters. Has a millionaire and has a manager. Has the, the owner and has a manager in this story. And the boss, the owner, finds out that the manager has been wasting the funds. You know, he's got a slush fund in the budget. Maybe he's kind of like using it to pay a few of his own personal bills outside of what he gets paid. Maybe he gives himself raises. Maybe he's taking business trips to uh, the Mediterranean. I, I don't know what it is, but he finds out that he is wasting the millionaire, the master's money. That's what happens in this moment. 
And one day he is called in to give an account for how he managed his master's money. Now, when Jesus tells this story, here's what he's doing. He's trying to help us see something from God's perspective. Whenever Jesus shares a truth, when he shares a parable, when he, when he shares one of these stories, he's trying to help us see something that is real to life, but see it from a new perspective. And so he talks about a, a millionaire, we'll say, and a manager, someone who owns a lot and somebody who manages a lot. Now, how many of you own property? Raise your hand if you own property. Just stick your hand up just in the chat if you own property. If you own a piece of land, if you own a house, if you own that, everybody that owns something has a deed, right? And, and you may go, well, I, well, I own my property, I own my house, and you, you don't outright own it, maybe the bank owns it, but kind of in, you know, in general purposes, you do own it, and you have a deed. And here's the thing I found interesting about owning property. In the early, up to the early 1900s, whenever you owned a piece of property, you actually owned the airspace above it. Did you know that? You, until commercial travel really took off in like the early mid-1900s, you actually owned, in fact, this was common law practice. This was kind of a, a concept that was a phrase that they used in law when it came to your property. That This phrase, um, I, I won't read it to you in Latin because I can't, but here's basically what this phrase meant. And this was what was kind of they used legally to talk about your property and what you own. Uh, it basically said this, whoever owns the soil, it's theirs up to heaven and down to hell. So when you owned the soil, you owned it all the way up to heaven and you owned it all the way down to hell. Here's what that means. That means if you dig and you find oil, if you found gold, if you found valuable resources in the dirt, guess what? You owned it. It's yours. You owned it. If you own the property, you own everything. Now listen, as you're hearing this story, most of us who own a house, who own some property, who own a car, who own things, we're listening to the story and we're going, okay, I guess I'll be the owner. But if I could just kind of say, as much as I want to identify with the owner, can I just tell you real, realistically, I actually identify with the manager because I don't own enough to have people working for me managing my money. Maybe you do, but I don't. And the reality is, as Jesus is telling this story to his audience, he knows that, that these aren't owners. And so when Jesus is doing this, he's trying to teach us a deeper truth when it comes to our money, when it comes to our finances, and when it comes to everything we have. And it is this truth. And that is that God owns it and I manage it. That God owns it. And I manage it. I want for you to write that in the chat to let me know that you're listening. I want you to say it out loud with me, everybody here in the room. God owns it. I manage it. Say it out loud again. God owns it. I manage it. Do me a favor. Turn to the person you're sitting with on the couch. Look at them and say, God owns it. You manage it. We, we need to get this concept. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Okay? And I think it's hard for us to grasp this sometimes. Let's be honest. Because, you know, you've got the deed. You have the deed to your property, the deed to your car, the deed to your condo. You have the deed. But the truth is this, if I could just say this, is that we're actually playing in God's sandbox. You realize that, right? And I want to say this, like, as humbly as I can, if I could just say something kind of direct, 
without trying to offend you. I just want to say this. You don't own any of it. It's all borrowed. No, 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 you don't understand. I've worked for years and I paid it off and I've got the title and I've got the deed and I got my name on it. No, 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 you don't understand. And I'm saying this as nicely as I can. You actually don't own any of it. It's, it's all borrowed. If you don't believe me, can I prove it to you with scripture? Can I prove it to you with something that the apostle Paul said and he was writing to one of his young leaders in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what Paul said. He said, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take what out of it? Everybody say that word out loud. We can take, come on, at home, say it out loud. Say it to your kids here. We can take nothing out of it. That, that's true, isn't it? Like, when you were born, you had nothing. You're like, I know, but I worked so hard and I saved up, and I was good with my money, and I've got a house, and I've got this, and it's about paid for, and I got this. I understand, but the second part of that is so true. We, you know this. We, we can't take any of it with us. It, it reminded me of a, a story I heard once of this, um, this wife who was with her husband who was ailing, and he was at the end of his life, and he, had, you know, he, he was dying of a disease, and, uh, and he was out of time. And this guy, this guy had basically loved money so much, but he saved every penny. He just stored it up and he saved it. And, and in fact, he kind of was a penny pincher and he never really let his wife go buy anything. And he was kind of just, I don't know, all he was, he was obsessed with money and having lots of money. And so on his deathbed, his wife's there and she's holding his hand and he's taking his last few breaths. He looked at his wife and he said, honey, he, he said, when I die, will you bury me? She thought he was going to say, will you bury me next to you? And I want to be buried. No, no, will you bury me with my fortune? Will you bury me with all the money that I saved and I worked and all my accounts and all? Would you bury me with my money? She didn't know what to do because this is a dying man's wish. And so she said, okay, I will. And she made a promise. And so at the funeral, they're at the funeral, the last moment before they close the casket. And here's this widow. She's up there with him. It's a very special moment. She's crying. And then she pulls something out of her purse, an envelope. And then she sticks it in the casket. And they close the casket. And they lower it and they pour dirt onto it. And later that day, this widow, she's now with her friends and they're, they're just with her and they're, you know, commiserating with her. And I'm so sorry. And I said, when you were at the casket, you, you, you left something with him. It's this kind of like moment. Would you mind sharing? I'd just love to know. Is it something of, that you loved about him and all this? And she, she told him the whole story. Well, no, my husband, he loved his money so much that he, he said, will you promise to bury me with all of my money? And they said, tell me you didn't do it. Tell me you did not bury her, bury him with all of your money. What are you going to do? Why would you do that? And she looked at him and she said, no, I just wrote him a check. You see, I know that's just an old preacher's story, but I can't help myself. I can't help myself. You, you see, the reality is this. We can spend our entire lives amassing and saving and acquiring and paying off and building up in the stock market and to, to, so that we can own a bunch. And maybe you're going to own your house and you're going to own a house in Florida and you're going to own cars and you got this fancy car and you got all these things that you love so much, your boat and all these things. You, you can spend your whole life acquiring all these things. But if I could just say very kindly, the reality is at some point to the end of our lives, that we're going to have to leave it with somebody else. It's borrowed. 
I'm trying to help us understand. This is just a foundational principle as we start into this series. I know this is elementary, but and you may already know that, but, but you, you can't take it with you. And I'm not saying that to be frivolous and that we should just blow money and live every day like it's you know, the last day. And, but, but I'm saying when it comes to understanding the finances, the money, the things we have, we've got to understand that, that it's temporary. In fact, if you don't live that way, let me just tell you what's going to happen at the end of your life. You'll end up being miserable. How do I know that? Because we actually have the words from one of the wealthiest men who ever lived who had acquired houses and built a kingdom and vineyards and had people working for him. And, and this guy named Solomon wrote these words. L- let me just read them to you uh, at the end of his life. He said in, in this in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17 and 18, he said, so I came to hate life. That's awful. This is one of the wealthiest. I mean, we all go, if I had more money, if I hit the lotto, I'd be happy. Here's a guy that had more money than anybody else in his life. Maybe make the top 10 in the world, historically. And he says, I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun, in other words, in this life, is so troubling. Everything is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. He said, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth. For why? I must leave it to others. Everything I've earned. Oh, that's depressing, right? He came to get to a place where he was so miserable with life because everything that he thought he owned, the reality is that he realized he doesn't actually own it. What I'm trying to teach you today, and I I want us to get this before we can talk about finances honestly, is this idea that your name might be on the deed, but God holds the patent. Your name might be on the deed for the house, But God holds the patent for the dirt you build it on. God holds the patent for the lumber that you use to build your house. God holds the patent. And so we need to get this. And I believe the moment we understand that God owns it and I manage it, that a perspective shift begins to happen inside of us. This is why this is a foundation for understanding how to operate our finances. When I realize God is the owner in the story and I'm the manager, then here's what it tells me. How we use what God gives us matters. How we manage the money we think is ours matters to God. In fact, it might matter more than we even know because God owns it. Everybody say, God owns it. I manage it. I I heard this quote by um, Tony Evans, a known pastor, and he said this, communism teaches the government owns everything. And capitalism, that's our society, teaches the individual owns everything. Christianity teaches that God owns everything. God owns it, and I management, manage it. And so this is why Jesus tells us a story where it matters to God. In fact, he, he goes on because I want you to see what Jesus says next because he actually unpacks the truth nested inside of this story. In verse 8 Jesus said that the rich man, that's the millionaire, the master, he had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And isn't it true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light? Here's the lesson. Whenever Jesus says, here's the lesson, you pay attention, underline it, mark it, write it down. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, no, 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 my possessions will never be gone. Oh, yeah, one day they will. 
We already learned that. He says, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Verse 10, if you are what? Can everybody say that word with me? If you are, come on, say it a little bit louder. I got a small crowd. You're gonna have to be loud today. If you are, if you are faithful with little things, then you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? This is fascinating. Jesus says that the owner applauded the manager for being shrewd. Now, you need to know this. Um, I feel like it's one of those, you know, if anybody ever played a trick on you and they ever pulled one over on you that was so good, you just had to applaud them. You're just like, okay, that was good. That's what Jesus was saying. Listen to me. He is not applauding his deceitfulness. He's recognizing that for the first time ever, you actually started to think about your future. You see, he had spent his whole life wasting the opportunity and wasting his master's money. And now when he's about to lose his job, he's shrewd and he starts to think about the future. And then Jesus said something that I was at first, like, why are you saying this? Jesus said that the children of the world, you know what he's saying? He's saying that people who do not believe in me, people who do not follow me, he's saying people that, that don't even live like there is a God are sometimes more shrewd, more wise about how they deal with their worldly possessions and wealth than those who follow me are about the things that matter. There's something that Jesus wants us to get. In fact, I wonder if Jesus would have said, and just like he said, hey, people in this world sometimes are better with money than my followers are with everything I've entrusted to them? I wonder if Jesus is saying in a moment like this, if you were to sit down with a financial advisor, an expert, you know, some people do that, maybe you have. You go sit down, you'll pay money, you'll do whatever to get someone's advice. Jesus would say, they're gonna tell you what I'm telling you right here. You, you know, you go sit down with a financial expert, a lot of people don't even realize you can dig into what Jesus said and you will get some of the wisest advice you'll ever found. And so Jesus is actually trying to teach us this principle today. I want, I want to give it to you. This is kind of the one takeaway. This is the thing that if you forget everything else and your kids are bouncing around and you got distracted at home and, you know, you were working on something else and kind of pay attention, stop. I'm just going to leave that awkward pause right there so I get your attention. Just stop for a moment. I need us to understand this one truth. This is what I believe Jesus is really getting at. He's saying this. How you manage today determines how you live tomorrow. Write it down. I, I need some hosts to put it in the chat. How you manage today determines how you live tomorrow. If you talk to a financial expert, you sit down with them, you know what they're going to ask you? How do you want to live tomorrow? How do you want to live when you retire one day? How do you want to live 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now? How do you want, what do you, what do you want from this life then? And they're going to say that you need to start doing something today if you want to experience it tomorrow. And what I'm saying is a basic principle for life is how we live today will determine, or how we manage today will determine how we actually get to live tomorrow. Okay, I, I need you to understand what Jesus is saying is think long term. Did you notice that he was talking about? Think long term. Now, 
Financial experts will tell you think long-term. Isn't that right, Jen? Financial experts will tell you that. Jesus will say, think really long-term. You see, most financial experts will tell you think long-term, but they'll tell you in an earthly mindset. Jesus is talking about an eternal mindset. Can I just tell you this? Please hear this. This isn't about money. I mean, it, it includes our finances. Please hear this. This isn't about money. I need you to hear this. It's about trust. What Jesus is talking about, he's using our finances as an example. But I believe that God is looking for people that he can trust. God owns it all. And if we want the opportunity to manage it, that's why Jesus said, if you can be trusted with a little, then I know I can trust you with more. We want God to bless us. God's saying, I'm looking for people that are trustworthy with what I've already given to them. Come on, there, there is a principle I need you to get. I need you to understand this. It's how we manage today determines how we'll live tomorrow. And when Jesus is, is talking about if you can be trusted, you need to know he's talking about more than just money. This applies to everything God gives us. This applies to our time. How you manage your time will determine what God can trust you with more. It, it will determine what your employer can trust you with. How you manage your home, how you lead your kids matters. How you manage your marriage and the kind of person you are and the way you treat them matters to God. This is about trust. By the way, how you manage your influence. See, most of us, we want God to bless us. And it may not just be, God, I'm looking for a stimulus check. But God, would you bless me at work? God, would you give me promotion? God, would you give me favor? God, would you give me more authority? I wonder if God's wondering, wait a minute, hold on. I wonder if God's wondering, will you be faithful with what I've already given you? See, what, what if what you manage today is actually a test? What if how you manage what you have right now is a test? See, most of us want more influence because maybe you don't have anybody that you lead. Can I, can I just remind you of something? How you lead yourself will determine whether or not God gives you opportunity to lead other people. You see, this applies to everything. And oh, by the way, how you manage worldly wealth will determine if God can trust us, not only with that, but with greater riches. See, there are better blessings than just money. And I know that's sometimes what we think about, that's sometimes what we're looking for, but if I could just tell you this, that God wants to put more into your hands, how you manage the gifts God's already given to you. Are they being wasted? How you manage the skill that God's given you, the intellect that God's given you, the wisdom that God has given you, how you manage today will determine how you live tomorrow. The same is true when it comes to spiritual matters. How you live today will determine how you live tomorrow. What you if you will choose to receive Jesus today, it will determine the eternal reward you have tomorrow. When you give your life to him today and all of it, it determines what we can experience tomorrow. And so here's what I know. We're all looking for a stimulus. 
I'm looking for a supernatural stimulus. God's looking for faithfulness. I want more. God says, I want faithful. God, trust me with more. God says, be responsible with what you have. And see, some of us, we write this off because we say, I don't have that much. I only make, you know, $25,000 a year and we barely make. It's not about how much. You can make 25,000, you make 250,000. What matters to God is how you manage it right now. And let me just tell you something. If you want one day to manage $250,000, start being faithful with the 25,000 God's given you today. How you manage today will determine how you live tomorrow. And if you don't think this is a spiritual matter, Jesus closes out this parable with some really stark truth. This is a spirit, this is a matter of the heart. This is about foundation. You see, money can be your focus or it can be your foundation for life. How you manage it can just be a reflection of how God can trust you with more. And I said, blessings are conditional, they are. We'll see that throughout the series. We'll see things in ways that God wants to bless. And I do believe that God can bless us financially. I really do. When we order our finances right, what do I mean by order? I'm saying when we make Jesus the most important, when we surrender to God's plan and his purpose, it changes everything. And right now, let me just say this, in our culture, there's a real fight. Can I just tell you that the God that we tend to worship more than God, the one true God, I'm saying the lowercase g, God, that becomes the stumbling block for most of us in this culture is money. Maybe that's why Jesus, imagine he said this thousands of years ago, not even speaking into America right now, but he said in Luke 16, 13, he said, no one can serve two masters for will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Here's what I know. No one wants to be enslaved to money. None of us do. Jesus is saying that if you will order your finances so that God is first, here's what you can know, is that God can favor your life. Whoever's trusted with little can be trusted with much. Amen? Come on, would you pray with me? God, I I believe right now in this moment, maybe you're speaking to some. Not, Not just about finances, but something even greater. That maybe you're speaking to someone who's watching this about their life. Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're gonna love one and be devoted to one, but you can't be love, love one and be devoted to two. And so either, either money is your God or maybe yourself is your God or, or what you believe about your possessions and your stuff, either those things rule your life or the one who owns it all created and gave it to you it does. And at the end of the day, when it comes to money and every other aspect of our lives, it really comes down to surrender. Who's gonna be God? Who's gonna be on the throne? And I'm just, I just believe that maybe someone watching this right now, that maybe even if you've been in church for a long time, but maybe there has been a tension within you, a tension where you haven't given God all of it, the best of it. You have not ordered your life and your finances in such a way that puts God first. Maybe today is time to pray a prayer of faith to say, God, will you be number one in my life? Come on, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. Father, I pray in this moment, you know who's watching this, is ready to honestly say, God, will you be number one in my life? Listen, if that's your prayer, would you just say these words with me right wherever you are? 
You might be in a coffee shop watching this. You could be at your house, in your office, at the kitchen. Would you just say, God, will you be my number one? God, will you be the Lord of my life? God, I choose today to place you on the throne. I choose right now to submit to you and your plan, your purpose for my life. Would you forgive me for living my life my own way? Today, I surrender it all to you. Listen, as we're still praying, I just, I really believe that maybe God wants to minister to you about how much he does love you. I want you to hear this. God's love is unconditional. And I know this about God. He has a desire to bless you in every way. This is not just with your finances. You know what's greater than that? If God would bless my kids, if God would bless generations after me, if God would bless my life with peace and with tranquility and with strength and with faith and with wisdom. Come on, can I tell you, these are even greater than that. And so I just believe right now, God, we just pray that you as our good father that desires to give good gifts to our kids. God, I pray that right now, Lord, we would be in a posture where we could receive your blessing, that we could live our lives in such a way that we could receive blessing from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.